So unless you've been living under a rock the past uh, couple of, several months actually, you already know that violent crime here in the Twin Cities, particularly Minneapolis, has really skyrocketed uh, lately. And for many of you here in the room right now, this isn't just a, a news headline that you've seen cross your feed. This is your actual daily life. This is your backyard. This is uh, your front porch. This is your street corner. And in fact, one of the most tragic stories happened just a couple of weeks ago where a little girl was playing in her backyard, a stray bullet hit her, and unfortunately she passed away from the wound. And that girl's name was Trinity. Well, today is Trinity Sunday in the church calendar. And this is a day in which typically pastors, especially in liturgical traditions like ours, will stand up and they'll give... Um, corny metaphors uh, for what the Trinity is. They'll talk about three-leaf clovers or the parts of an apple or the modes of ice or whatever, and these are all um, unhelpful, uh, to say the, to the least. And uh, may we resist that urge today? Because the Trinity is not necessarily an abstract theory or a philosophical exercise or uh, a metaphysical debate. No, the Trinity is where you and I, as brothers and sisters, redeemed by Christ, actually live. It is our life to talk about the Trinity. You see, the doctrine of the Trinity is an invitation for men, women, and children to participate in the life of God. So unless the doctrine of the Trinity has any meaning to the family of that little girl Trinity, then we shouldn't even be here right now because this is a core, sweet, essential doctrine to who we are. It is how we live and move in this world. So our brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have this, this common um, image, this icon uh, of, of the Trinity that is beautiful. If you're on our church newsletter, you would have received a, a version of this um, icon uh, embedded in that. And what it is, is it's a picture of a table with three persons sitting around it, the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're enjoying a meal with one another in this icon. Now, sometimes all that's on the table is the Holy Sacrament, the bread and the wine. Sometimes when this icon is depicted or when it's written, uh, as the Orthodox say, there's, an, there's a huge elaborate feast that is on the table with all sorts of bread and fruit and fine drink and, and other good food on there. Lots of meat is on this table. And what I love about this is that you can also see the members of the Trinity looking at one another and talking to each other, sharing with one another, listening to one another. And what I love about this is it shows us that the very core of who God is, we see an eternal relationship of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally giving, eternally receiving, sharing with one another, partaking with one another. And then the other thing that I like about this image is that at this table, you'll see that there's a person at each of the three sides, but then the front of it, that fourth side, remains open to you. It is an invitation for you to come and sit down at the very table of God. I wonder what would it be like to sit at that kind of table? What sort of conversation would you overhear? What would it feel like to have the hand of God 
hand you a piece of bread? What would that be like? What does God's face look like when he's listening to your prayers, when he's listening to you, petitioning him and talking to him? You see, friends, the doctrine of the Trinity is an invitation to participate in the life of God, in the fellowship of God. Now, one place we see this, this table blessing, this table participation in, in our lives as uh, Christians standing in a sacramental tradition is most definitely at the Eucharistic table every single week. But I think that there's other table benefits that we have to enjoy as well. I think that one of the primary benefits that you and I have as adopted brothers and sisters into the family of God pertains to the daily struggles that we have, and I think it's the, the blessing of being able to talk to God, the blessing of simple prayer, conversation, listening and speaking with our triune God. And so I would like to look at that in more depth here today on this beautiful Trinity Sunday. You see, the Christian does not pray like others pray. The Christian, Christian prayer is different than Muslim prayer or Jewish prayer or Buddhist prayer or Wiccan prayer. Christian prayer is unique because it is prayer to and through and in the personhood of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to be looking at the passage from Luke today. It's Trinity Sunday, so we're going to have three movements through this passage. I know you would all be very disappointed if, I, if it wasn't a three-point sermon today. <laughs> so may we see that not only do we participate in God's life as baptized believers, but may we also see that God participates in our lives, in our daily struggles as well. So the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus very simply says to them, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. This alone is striking. This is novel in the ancient world. This is not how any religious types were taught how to pray. When you pray, say, Father. This profound teaching from Jesus is that when you and I are meant to pray to God, we are to address him as our Father. Now, for a whole myriad of reasons, that is really hard to do sometimes, isn't it? That's quite a challenge. You know, perhaps many of us here in the room have earthly fathers who, quite honestly, were quite terrible in what a God, good father should actually look like. If you know me and if you know my story, you, you know that that's, that's my experience as well. I, I'm quite familiar with the abandonment and the tragedy of an earthly father. And others of you in the room might have similar stories as well. So plenty of us have enough reason to avoid or resist referring to God as father. But when we do so, this can actually lead to a couple of, of challenges in our prayer life. And Thomas Smale, in his book, The Forgotten Father, talks about a couple of dangers that we can fall into when we cease to pray to God our Father. One is that we pray exclusively to Jesus. And in this situation, we, we cling to a loving Jesus because we wrongfully view God the Father as remote or as maybe angry. 
And so then our, our prayer life takes this all too sort of human posture to it. And we begin to think of, of Jesus as buddy-buddy as or as, as our best friend, you know, as, as bobblehead Jesus. You know, we sort of um, take away the, the reverence and the awe and the majesty of who God is. And we speak to him purely in, in human forms, in human ways. And in our imaginations, we tend to banish God the Father to some sort of unrelatable transcendence. So that's one danger that we can sometimes fall into. Another danger is that we can pray exclusively for the gifts of the Spirit. And we cling too much on these gifts that come from the Spirit of God. You know, maybe it's a certain spiritual experience that we're pursuing and, and thirsting after. Maybe it's a particular spiritual blessing of, of healing or some kind of gift of the Holy Spirit. And we forget, though, in doing this and obsessing over the gifts of God, is we forget that we are given the gifts from the Father through the Spirit so that we can honor the Son, we can bear witness to the Son, and so that we can serve uh, the Father and bring more glory to His name. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever pray to Jesus or shouldn't ever pray to the Spirit. No, as triune Christians, we are to do those things. What I'm saying is there can be an unhealthy fixation and an avoidance of our Father in heaven. Jesus says when you pray, say, Father. Why? Because our Father in heaven loves you. Because he loves you. He is the one who sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. It is the loving initiation of the Father, and which is the reason why all of us are here right now in this room. Jesus tells us these really encouraging words from John's gospel. He says, very soon, this is before he ascended into heaven, Jesus says, very soon you are going to pray in my name. That's a way of saying, I'm going to give you the authority to pray in the way that I prayed. You're going to pray in my name, in my authority, with my level of acceptance before the Father. And so Jesus says, now I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the things that you need. He says, no, the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. What Jesus is encouraging us here is to approach God in the same way in which he approaches his Father, with boldness, boldness, with confidence that the Father's ear listens to our prayer. He will hear directly from us. So may you all have the confidence to pray to the Father who loves you. Now, my second point from Luke is, is fairly simple as well. It's a little obvious to us. But again, what I love about, one of the things I love about this passage is that it is Jesus Christ who teaches us how to pray. It's God the Son who's teaching us how to pray. It's not an angel that delivers this prayer to us. It's not another prophet that delivers this message to us or even one of the other disciples who's, who's made this discovery. No, it's God himself in the flesh. God comes down in the flesh, the same God who died upon the cross, who atoned for our sin, who rose from the grave, who is now seated in heaven as our mediator. He is the one who is teaching us how to pray, and he is our mediator. So now we are to pray with Jesus. We are to pray with the Son. He is our mediator. This is the message of ascension that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Now, when I say that Jesus is our mediator, 
What I don't mean is that Jesus goes into the heavenly places or goes into a place in which you and I will never ever ascribe to or will never be able to go into. That's not the kind of mediation that Jesus gives to you and I. Jesus gives us a mediation that is inclusive, that brings us alongside him. He brings our humanity up into heaven with him. He opens the way into heaven so that we can follow him and that we can join him in prayer. We pray alongside him. We pray with him. We don't approach the Father by ourselves, but with Jesus Christ. As we say every single week, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. That is our prayer before the Father. We are with Jesus, united with Jesus. Now, this has implications to the way in which you and I approach the Lord in prayer, in partnership with one another. Here in America, we so often fail to the temptation of celebrity Christianity. We see it in all sorts of denominations. It's not like Anglicans are somehow um, exempt from this temptation. It's really easy for us as believers to admire the spiritual gifts that certain leaders may have been given, or, or even just other laity, other, other people in our lives. We see those gifts and we're like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to have that gift? You know, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the gift of hospitality. Wouldn't it be so wonderful to have this person's gifts? And somehow we start to think of, of these other people in our, around us as people who have sort of a, a special access to God. And like I said, that happens even at the local level. And we can hear it sometimes in the way in which we ask for prayer from one another. If you go to a friend and you say, please pray for me, but instead what you mean in your heart is, please pray instead of me, then what you're doing is you're, you're revealing an insecurity in your own confidence before God. You hear what I'm saying? You know, when we say, pray instead of me, because the reality is that you and I, brothers and sisters, we are all adopted into the family of God. We all have equal access to God the Father with Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. And so all of us can approach his throne with confidence. And so when we say, friend, pray for me, I hope what we mean is pray with me. Come alongside me. Come, stand with me, sit with me, cry with me, pray with me as we petition the Lord together. Because when we ask people to pray with us, then we're, we're multiplying our boldness, we're multiplying our joy, we're, we're borrowing the faith and the excitement and the gifts from one another. And we're, we're being um, involved in this vibrant, exciting mode of prayer, right? Because each of us, we've got different gifts. We see things differently. We are burdened and nudged by the Holy Spirit in different ways. And so when we pray with one another, we're not only enlisting the, the support of our friends as each other, but we're creating a, a chorus of prayer and petition before God our Father who loves us dearly. So may we pray in boldness with one another because we pray with Christ who is our mediator. We pray with Christ. So this section from Luke, after this short prayer that Jesus gives his disciples, he shares some other teachings about prayer, and then he talks about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 11, what father among you, if his child asks for a fish, will give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
If then you who are evil, that is, you who are sinners and stumble quite often, if you then are still able to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more so is your Father in heaven able to pour out the Holy Spirit on those who ask for it? So in other words, whenever we feel insufficient, ill-equipped, or alone, our Father in heaven pours out himself, pours out his own presence upon us. As the Apostle Paul says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You see, we are in the Spirit. We are in the Spirit. When we pray, we don't pray according to our own power or our own motivations or our own intelligence. We pray according to the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us. This is so encouraging. I I don't know about you, but so often when I pray, I, I feel like my emotions are not always engaged. I feel like my intellect is maybe lacking. I feel like my vocabulary, the way in which I articulate things just isn't necessarily impressive to anyone. And I feel so inadequate so often in my prayer life. And I wonder, is this even accomplishing anything? Is God even hearing me right now? He must be so unimpressed with the words or even the the level of care that I'm putting into this. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit searches our hearts. The Holy Spirit knows what you love and what you yearn for. The Holy Spirit knows what makes you sad. The Holy Spirit knows what breaks your heart. The Holy Spirit also knows your thoughts. He knows what causes you anxiety. He knows what's robbing sleep from you in the middle of the night. The Holy Spirit knows all of this about you. And he prays for us. As Paul says in Romans, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Beloved people of God, when you pray, do not worry about the perfection of your prayers or your feelings or your thoughts because you are in the Spirit. Know that regardless of our insecurities, whenever we pray, we are doing business with God. David Fitch, who is a pastor and a theologian and a relative of someone sitting here in the room, right? Yeah, great, yeah. So David Fitch tells this story um, in one of his books about a group of about eight people who in 2010 uh, felt called to move uh, in Sacramento. They felt called to move to a particular neighborhood called Detroit Boulevard Neighborhood. And this was a neighborhood uh, 10 uh, or so years ago that was exceptionally notorious for its level of crime. Every single house in that neighborhood was known as a place of danger. It's, it's not the place that you would want your kids to go out and play in the middle of the day in, even. And so this group of eight individuals, they felt burdened by the Holy Spirit to go on regular prayer walks through the neighborhood. And so they would do this almost every single day. And they would pray with the boldness of Jesus Christ, their mediator, the one who has gone into the heavens before them. They would pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us gifts to actually do the ministry of God in our world. And they asked God the Father to reign over the violence and the addiction and the oppression and the satanic activity that was happening in that neighborhood. One of the members of this group was a former police officer 
And he said, each time we prayed over a house, we felt the weight of oppression becoming lighter and lighter as they went throughout the neighborhood. At one point, a woman sees what they're doing, and she hops out, she goes, and she confronts, confronts them. She gets in their faces. And then when she heard that they were people of prayer, she started to ask for prayer. She, she wanted them to petition for her to God. And so when they prayed for her, she was healed of what was oppressing her. She was actually delivered. Well, a few years went on, and they kept praying over this neighborhood, and over the course of several years, this neighborhood was actually transformed. Uh, it's recorded in, in an article done by the local newspaper, the Bab- or the, not the Babylon Bee, that's, that's, that would change this illustration dramatically. <laughs> the Sacramento Bee <laughs> was the name of the newspaper. The Sacramento Bee reported that there were no murders, no robberies, no sex crimes, only one assault in the neighborhood in that year between 2013 and 14. And the neighborhood would look entirely to this group of eight individuals who later went on to plant a church in this neighborhood as the source of the transformation that happened there. You see, this was a Trinitarian, God-inspired, Jesus-inhabited, Holy Spirit-indwelling movement that had happened in that neighborhood. So what is the impossible prayer that you came to church today with? Is the transformation of a neighborhood? I was really happy to hear this last week. Molly told me that a couple of you had uh, already been prayer walking uh, in your neighborhoods in light of the violence that was happening. Reminded me of this story. What other impossible prayers are you carrying here? I wonder how will God answer those prayers? Maybe you're praying for the conversion of a loved one. Maybe you're praying for the healing of a disease. Maybe you've spent six years praying for your church to have a permanent location. What are some of the mighty impossible prayers that you are carrying before God this morning? Because friends, I want you to know this morning that you are participating in the life of God and he is participating in your life. We all have a seat at the table. So may we with confidence draw near to God our Father and be open and clear with what our desires are. May we know that the Father loves us, not because of anything that we've done, but because Jesus Christ comes alongside us and with us, and he is our advocate. He gets us in. He seats us at the table. And then the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. He fills our hearts and our minds and our imaginations even when we can't think of what to say. He gives us the communication with God our Father. Praise the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord God, we give you thanks this morning that you have revealed to us the deep mysteries of who you are, that you are love. You are an eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally giving and receiving eternally in communication, eternally in dance, and you invite us into that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for redeeming us and for bringing us into your fellowship. 
I pray, Lord, that you would hear our prayer this morning as we go about the rest of our service today and we lift up things that have been weighty upon our hearts and as we go about the rest of our weeks, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us a confidence to approach you with boldness because you are the God who answers impossible prayers. You bring peace to our cities. You give us a home. You restore us to health. Lord, answer our prayers again today. We ask all of this in the holy and blessed name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.